Hey everyone, thank you for being here. Welcome to Pillars. Of course, I am Dylan Bowman, and this week I am thrilled to bring you a conversation with my friend, the great Lucy Bartholomew. For those who listen to this show, uh, for most of you, Lucy will probably need no introduction. She is one of the most well-known and well-followed athletes on the circuit. Uh, But for those who are unfamiliar, Lucy is an Australian ultra runner, as you'll be able to tell by her amazing accent. And she has just an incredible story. She is an outlier in a sport that is just filled with outliers. She famously did her first ultra marathon when she was only 15 years old, running 100 kilometers side by side with her dad in their home country of Australia, and now still only 24 years old, turning 25 next month. Lucy is a seasoned veteran having been in the sport for almost a decade. And it's just been amazing to witness her growth in that time. She went from being a strong young athlete with a lot of potential to an absolutely world-class talent with wins and podium performances at some of the world's most important races. But of course, as is always the case for high achieving people living out their dreams, it really has not been without consequences. For Lucy, she has admittedly been through a really tough couple of years where she questioned whether she still had what it took or even the desire to keep chasing her career as an ultra runner. But she's been able to navigate it really well. We talk at length about that process. And just a few weeks ago, Lucy tackled her biggest challenge yet, the 138-mile Larapinta Trail in Central Australia. And as you'll hear, it really did push her to her absolute limit. And we talk a lot about that. But overall, this was a really great conversation. Lucy was super honest and willing to share a lot about the highs and lows of her life and her career as an athlete. This is a longer one, so let's get right to it. As always, if you enjoy the show and you want more of what we're doing, please go download the Pillars app and join our community. Okay, please welcome the Australian sensation, Lucy Bartholomew. How are you? Thanks for joining Um, us. Oh, I'm good. I'm nervous. I, uh, I've loved this podcast for so long and, uh, yeah, I I wrote to you saying, can we do the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, absolutely we can. Uh, I was following your huge adventure that you just finished, which we'll talk at length about here in our conversation. And obviously we've known each other for a while and, uh, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. And uh, so it was inevitable that we would sit down and have a conversation. And uh, yeah, it's an honor to have you. And I think we have a million different things that we can talk about. So uh, let's let's just, you know, hope this doesn't turn into like a four hour kind of like uh, ultra marathon episode in itself. But how are you? Where are you? uh, Where are you broadcasting from? I know you just got home. Um, How are you doing? Yeah, so I just got home from six weeks away, which after a year of of barely moving out of this house, um, it kind of felt like an eternity. Uh, So I got home yesterday 
um, and to my home with my dad and my dog. And yeah, it's good. It's, it's a lot cooler where I am now and kind of just feels good to be home, which, you know, after a year of being like, I just want to leave and go and explore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The appreciation for, for my own space is, is very high at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And home for you, of course, is Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. Melbourne, <laughs> Melbourne. And, uh, it's like what summer transitioning to fall there right now things are are cooling off but as you said you are just returning from what looked like a very warm uh blisteringly hot personal project on the Larapinta Trail in sort of central Australia which again we'll talk about in great detail but um you know, I figure, you know, we, we have a ton to talk about, but of course we do want to sort of like set things up, make sure people know who Lucy Bartholomew is. Of course, you're a world famous athlete. You're still, I mean, what are you 24, 25 at this point? 24, ne- yes. 25 next month. <laughs> okay. So you're all, you're almost 25 and you've been in the sport already for like a decade, almost as long as I have. And I feel like a grizzled veteran myself. Um, and I feel like I started young too, but you started super, super young. And I think most people kind of know your story, at least loosely at this point. Uh, but it's, I think worth sort of reviewing for those who are newer to you. Obviously we have mostly an American listenership. Of course, there's, there's people all over the world that listen to this podcast, but, and you, like I said, have a, a huge online following and you're one of the fan favorites in the sport, but tell us where the, the humble beginnings of, of Lucy Bartholomew, the athlete and the ultra runner came from and and what possessed you to tackle these distances at such a young age? Yeah. So it all started uh, with my dad. Uh, My dad's been a huge part of my journey and still is. So he ran a lot of road marathons. He's done, you know, 20 of the Melbourne, more Melbourne uh, (laughs) marathons. And, um, you know, as he got older, he was inevitably getting slower and he kind of was looking for a new challenge. So he signed up for what was then the North Face 100 and now the Ultra Trail Australia, which Dylan, you know, all too well. I do. And yeah. And, um, I went up to the Blue Mountains with him and I, well, I saw him training beforehand and I was just really impressed. You know, I think a lot of parents want to get their kid into the sport. And I think the best thing they can do is just lead by example. You know, I just saw how much of a different person he was when he ran home from work rather than drove. Um, you know, he was a lot calmer and a lot kinder. Um, but we, yeah, cause I was part of the journey and the build up. I would cycle next to him on his long runs. And as I got stronger, I would run next to him. And then I went up to the Blue Mountains and I kind of got to see the sport in its in its all essence. Like the Ultra Trail Australia is like, you know, Australia's biggest race. It's in the Blue Mountains. It's just beautiful. And I saw, you know, the front of the field, the elites just looking effortless and light. And then I saw the middle of the field, like my dad, like head down, you know, all different shapes and sizes getting it done. And then I saw the back of the pack and I saw, you know, people with like cake in one hand, a can of Coke in the other, trying to like balance a selfie. And I was like, this is a sport. This is unreal. You know, I can eat and I can like walk jog. You know, I was like, watch my dad finish. And I was emailing every race director in Australia for a hundred kilometers saying, you know, can you take a, a then 15 year old girl 
And um, one race came back to me being the Surf Coast Century 100K in Victoria. And um, they said, yeah, as long as you run side by side with your dad, um, you know, just for safety and insurance and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, jumped through quite a few hurdles of like medical certificates, submitting my training, all these extra things, extra precautions. And, um, you know, they were really proud to have a young female girl running, but it opened them up to a lot of criticism. So it was kind of the beginning of realizing that this was kind of a new path for, um, for ultra running to have kind of the youths being involved. Um, but I ran that with my dad, had the best time, returned the year later, ran three hours faster by myself. And everyone was like, wow, I think her dad's holding her back. Like, you know, she's got potential. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, and then from there, it's just been this like, yeah, I've always just followed what set my heart on fire and found the races and found a way, left high school and was like, I'm traveling the world and I'm taking my running shoes with me. And you've been doing that ever since. And it's been an amazing journey to follow. Tell me about your old man. Cause I, I haven't met him, but of course, like see him in your posts and he seems like uh, a really interesting person. And uh, did it feel at the time when you guys did this hundred K together and where there was some blowback from observers questioning whether he was a good father or not, did it feel like you guys were sort of like rebels or like you were, breaking some secret rule or, or sort of transcending some paradigm in the sport? I don't think we looked at it like that. You know, that kind of makes it seem really, really big and intimidating for dad and I, it was kind of like, well, of course, you know, Lucy's been doing the training I've been doing. And if I, me as a 45 year old male can do it, I don't really see why if we've had the same kind of lead up and she's fitter as fit or if not fitter than me, why she can't participate Um, I think it really bonded us together because at any point he could have said, look, like I'm hearing these feedback and people are trying to giving us research that says that, you know, everyone's giving me information and he could have at any point been like, yeah, maybe just wait till you're 18 and just make life really easy for everyone. Um, But instead, you know, I remember him, I like my biggest memory of him is standing on the start line of that race and being like, Lucy, you know, you like, there are lots of people out there that want to pull you out because they want to be right. And what you've got to do is you've got to smile the whole way, even when it sucks, because you need to give that as like a middle finger to them all and be like, I love what I'm doing. And I'm doing it because I love being with my dad. I love myself. I love nature. And it's not about being the first or becoming something. It's just about being who you are. And, um, and that's how I ran, you know, that's where the whole, like, you know, I'm pretty known for being smiling and happy. And it's because that was kind of my dad's always biggest piece of advice. What a great thing to, to pass down to, uh, to the uh, next generation. And, uh, it does seem that he still participates in the sport and, and seems to always have that good attitude himself. And, and, you know, you both fit in and, and sort of embody the spirit that makes the sport so fun. Were you a, uh, like a motivated student at this time as well? Or were you, I mean, did you, when you found running, did, were you thinking at 15, 16 years old that this was something that you wanted to pursue more seriously? I mean, what, what were your peers thinking about the things that you were pursuing at the time? I wouldn't say I was um, like a motivated student and I kind of had this, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I always wished I 
well, I always thought that I wanted to, you know, like my friends that were like, I want to be a doctor and they knew what they needed to study and the scores they needed to get. And it kind of just seemed like they had this path. And I was always like, yeah, I don't know. And then I was like, I'm going to take a gap year and I'll find what I really want to do then and just use running as a means. But, you know, when you travel overseas, you know, from Australia, where it's a very small trail running community and you see that people are making a living of it in Europe and like, you know, there are young people doing it in Europe and it is a thing um, because yeah, here it wasn't. And my friends and stuff were very kind of like, wow, this is so strange. Like for her 18th birthday, she wants to run a hundred kilometers when we want to party. And, um, you know, I kind of, but I've always bucked the trend, you know, I've never had a coffee in my life. Um, I've never drunk before. Um, and I'm an ultra runner, you know, I'm, I'm anomaly. <laughs> Wait a second. You've never had a coffee or booze in your life? No. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Just amazing self-discipline and talk about bucking the trend. Where does that come from in your personality? Do you think? I think I've just always kind of, I've had a confidence in like, I don't really be, I'm not shaken too much by other people's opinions. Mm. Um, I also like, you know, I've, um, I've seen what it can do to people like booze and I've, and my family have had, we've had issues with that. And then like the addiction of coffee and the, the money like you spend on all that stuff. And I've always kind of lived this very like, you know, traveling around in my gap year, I came back with like, you know, $5 and then went off again. And, you know, those times where I was like, I don't have anywhere to sleep or any, like, I'm just going to make things work. And that's like the amazing thing in the world is it all works out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've, yeah, I don't know. I just not interested and I have never done anything I'm not interested in. Yeah. It brings up something that I, figured we would talk about that I think is really interesting and unique about you and just like your, this independent spirit that you have and like just this inherent courageousness that you've always exhibited going back to when you ran a hundred kilometer race when you were 15 years old and then going off on a gap year when you were what, 17 or 18 and traveling around solo, you know, that's not something I would have felt comfortable doing when I was like, 22 and you're doing it when you're 18 or whatever. Um, where does that, that sort of like independent streak come from in you? I think, I think for me, it was because like I, because I was the only female really doing the sport of ultra running, I kind of had to do it alone. You know, I like, it was cool to have my dad on certain times and, you know, I had a lot of support from the older community, but I had a very different lifestyle. You know, I was trying to get up early to do my runs and I was doing it by myself. And I think that that independence comes from like my mom, uh, she moved back to the UK. My brother went to London. My other brother, my eldest brother moved away and it was kind of like me and my dad and then dad was working. So it was kind of like, you know, if I want to make this happen, it's on me to make it happen. Mm. And you know, there was a time that, um, my dad did this race in the blue mountains, another one called the six foot track. And I waited at the finish line for, you know, six hours for him to finish. And he came across the finish line and I'd been speaking to the, uh, this race at the race expo for this 250 kilometer race in the Simpson desert. And, um, you know, we were on the train home and I said to dad, I said, Oh, I've signed up for my next race. And he said, Oh, what is it? And I said, Oh, this, 
Simpson Desert Ultra is going to let me run as a 17-year-old. And, you know, he was like, you're not doing that. Like, it's far too far. And he kind of saw that I've always tried to, like, push and push and more mm. is more. And, um, yeah, you know, like, I just picked up extra shifts at the bakery. I booked my flights. I booked my bus. And I, I went on my way. And it was kind of like to dad, it was like, you know, she's going to do what she wants to do, whether I like it or not, and whether everyone tells um, tells her she can't or can do it. Um, so it's kind of been like that all the time, but I think that what I've seen is like, there's definitely a movement towards like working as a collective and people training together and getting the best out of each other. And I, what I've realized is I think ultra runners, myself included, we start to pride ourselves on like, yeah, I did it by myself. I did it alone. And that's, you know, it becomes like you almost separate yourself because that's like a, a real pride thing. And it's only recently that I kind of realized that I kind of need to go back and want to get back into running with the community and not isolating myself and priding myself and like, yeah, I'm made by me for me mm. and like I'm doing it for me. And um, yeah, I think that shift is just kind of like I went from being about being, being with my dad then I was like traveling around the world solo where I leaned heavily on community. And then I kind of like once things started going good, I was like, well, like I can't have distractions, so I need to be by myself. And now I'm kind of back with, yeah, sharing is the best way to, to get through the journey. No doubt. So like when you finish high school and you go to take your gap year, I'm sure most of your friends and peers and people who you grew up with were going to university and probably thinking about what they wanted to do when they grew up and stuff. Did you feel different from your peers? I mean, you said you always buck the trend, but were you, were you always like a little bit different from everybody else, whether it's, you know, like in terms of your, your attitude or the things that you were interested in? I think like a lot of my friends took gap years in Australia. It's not uncommon. So we mm. all kind of traveled. Um, it was just that they were going to like, you know, New York or Paris and the big, big <laughs> cities. And I was like, I want to go to like the little mountain towns. <laughs> yeah. I want to where there's no internet, where they don't speak English. Like I want to experience that. And then you know, they all came back and they'd all kind of, you know, really confirmed what they wanted to do and study. And we're looking forward to that process. Um, whereas like, I feel like I'm still on my seventh year of a gap year. You know, I've just continually just kind of kept, kept traveling the same way and experiencing life like that. It's only now that like when I came back, um, well, actually it was probably when I turned 21 and I ran the Ultra Trail Australia on my 21st birthday. And um, the week before I went to a, tw a friend's 21st and they'd all, you know, they've all finished their uni degrees and they're all got these like amazing titles of doctors and lawyers. And, yeah. and then they're like, and you're still running? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm still, still doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just kind of like, you know, I took a different path, but we still have so much that we resonate with on different levels. It's just like, yeah, they went to a university and I went through life, have the university of life. But I feel like I've learned <laughs> yeah. just the same things. Definitely <laughs> the school of hard knocks and yeah. long miles. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, it, uh, we, all of us who've been in the sport definitely understand that it teaches us m more about life and about the world than you could ever learn from a textbook or from a classroom. And that's what uh, I think, 
keeps, I mean, there's a theme in our sport too, of like some of the smartest people, you know, the people who go to Barkley oftentimes are the physicists and mathematicians and these people who have basically figured out or have an understanding of things that I could never comprehend. And yet they still feel this pull to like, go to the school of life and go out into the world and cover these miles. And it's just like a totally different education. And I think uh, just like, it's an education for the spirit rather than the brain. So, but it's interesting when you talk about like interacting with your friends, like, does it ever make you second guess your direction in life? Do you, do you ever feel like, Oh, I, I wonder if, you know, if I had gone and, to university and gotten some degree to be a, a lawyer or whatever, you know, now that you're almost 25, obviously that's still very young and you can pivot at any point in life and do something else at any point. Uh, but does it, uh, do you ever feel like, um, you know, second guess the direction that you've taken? Yeah. You know, probably in the last two years when my racing and my, um, running hasn't been felt as good and hasn't been as easy. I've definitely kind of, there's been moments where I'm like, man, I just want to like, why can't I just go to university, get a job and just do like the, the, what's the cut, the cut cookie cutter thing, you know, yeah, what everyone yeah. else is doing. Um, and you know, there's definitely moments where I just think, and I can, like, that's what, like you say, I'm still young enough that, you know, I was pretty close to kind of just being like, you know what, I'm quitting Instagram, I'm getting off this. Mm-hmm. I'm, hanging up the shoes. I've done my dash. It was great. 10 years in the sport is, is phenomenal. And I've had an amazing time, but there's just something that keeps pulling me back. And it's, you know, that kind of curiosity of like, you know, if I just push through this and kind of realign with my values and, you know, shake things up a little that, you know, good will come out the other side. And I've kind of always been an optimist and, um, I'm also super stubborn and really, you know, I do love the sport at the essence of it. There's just aspects that challenge me a lot more than, than others. Yeah. And, uh, obviously we all go through our highs and lows and that's kind of one of the themes of the podcast, as you know, and, uh, you know, I'd love to talk about both of those things and, you know, sort of moving on from kind of your background and your history in the sport and your history as a person, obviously like starting from when you were 15 years old and doing your first hundred K, you know, fast forward a, a few years later and you're one of the best athletes in Australia and then start to get some experience on the international circuit and come 2016, 2017, you're in your early twenties at that point, And you really are starting to perform as one of the best athletes in the world, you know, you're sort of maturing physically and emotionally and psychologically as we all do and getting better and better as an athlete. Who are some of your biggest influences in the sport at that time or the people who you were looking up to? Because like you didn't have anybody sort of like your age to sort of, um, compare yourself to or to measure yourself against, you know, everybody who is in the sport was, you know, significantly older than you, who was performing at the same level, at least generally speaking, how did you, who, who were sort of some of your influences that you sort of used to, to guide that huge upward uh, trajectory that you had in your career? 
Yeah, I had um, I had a few people that kind of like, uh, like one that comes to mind is Emily Forsberg. And she was someone that I idolized. And, you know, she was my phone background when I was 15. <laughs> and just, you know, everything she did was just amazing. And I was like, I just want to be like that. And she kind of, when I went to the Solomon Junior Running Academy, which was kind of like a, you know, such an amazing experience as an Australian runner to go and realize that there was all these European and American mountain goats and come together and yeah, kind of get a bit of a reality check of like, I may be good in Australia, but <laughs> give me like an uphill that goes for more than a kilometer and I'm kind of useless. Yeah. Um, and then she, you know, I, I think she reached out to me and we kind of talked and she started coaching me. Um, which was like an amazing experience because, you know, I'd kind of had a few coaches that were training more on kind of numbers and heart rates and, you know, very far from how I like to train. And she was more intuition and, you know, filling up your soul rather than, you know, having to worry about fitness. Um, and then I've had, you know, Mayel Backhausen, who's a mutual friend of ours. And he yeah. has been, you know, he guided me through some tough times and coached me as well. And he coached me into Western States 2018, which was mm -hmm. kind of a pivotal moment in, in my running career. Yeah. Um, Ryan Sands has always been someone that kind of has reached out to me and been like a really just, you know, always been approachable. And I would say like yourself, you know, being at UTCT where we kind of like fully got to hang out and I know you were sick that year, but you know, <laughs> you kind of got, you know, spoke to Jason Coop, you had like, just kind of connected me and just made me, yeah, it just kind of gave me some insights, which I think was really, really helpful, especially like 2017 was when things started to, to really kick off for me. Yeah. And so, yeah, in 2017, you won both the Ultra Trail Australia and Ultra Trail Cape Town, two of the biggest, most important races on the Ultra Trail World Tour. Uh, Ultra Trail Australia, was that the year that it was your 21st birthday that you won? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was what the most great. amazing thing. They had the, um, they had a course change and I was so disappointed because I was like, Oh, I've been training on this course. And like, <laughs> I was really excited for that last climb from Kadumbo and, um, they changed it. So ended up being this out and back mm -hmm. and what it meant that I, the last 20 kilometers was people like stepping off the track for me. Um, but then singing me happy birthday. And then I ran, no, into, like, I... I ran into my dad and like gave him a hug and I had my brother crewing me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I came down to finish and my brother had like a six pack of beers and he was like, yes, like Lucy's 21st. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be sick. Yeah, <laughs> not now. Not starting now. Not starting now. Well, what an amazing like thing. And, you know, just personally having those singular moments in our life, they're just these extraordinarily powerful, just explosions of happiness and personal validation and you just can't help but feel like wow I am a special fucking person you know and that I think just all of us are sort of looking for a place in life where we can be special right and and for you in 2016 2017 and then into 2018 everything is going super well for you and as I said you're you're now sort of getting into your your early 20s you're maturing as a person you're really coming into your own as an athlete 
how did that make you feel like on a, on an emotional level there? Did you really start to feel that like, wow, I, I'm, I really am like meant to do this. I am a special person. And you know, did you start drinking your own Kool-Aid, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm, I don't think I ever, I don't think until I look back that I realized how good a time that was, you know, mm. and by good, I mean, like, it just felt easy. It felt seamless. I woke up, I was so stoked every day on running and I raced so frequently in that period, you know, it was just kind of like this, um, you know, taper race recovered, taper race recover like cycle. And that was just kind of it. Like I didn't really train in between, but I just kind of was exploring and I was getting opportunities to do races. And I was like, wow, you know, people want to like, people want me on their start lines and people want to talk to me about this stuff. Like, you know, I felt like a bit of an idiot or like an imposter because I was like, God, I'm like 21 being asked by these 40 year olds how to run. Um, and yeah, it kind of all just, you know, it's, it spiraled and it all happened really, really fast. And probably, you know, in hindsight, like if I was to, I wouldn't wish that upon many people because I think when it happens so regularly and I had super great success, you know, Ultra Trail Australia, Ultra Trail Cape Town, Tarawira 60, Shot Over Moonlight Marathon, Motitapu, Western States, you know, like all these things and it just like... I don't think I really built up that. I wasn't drinking my own Kool-Aid that I wasn't like, oh, great. Yeah. Like I expect this. I was always just kind of not prepared for that success because I've always been someone that, you know, I probably envision what could go wrong more than what could go right when it comes to race day. Really? So, but with all that success, I mean, you, you must've started to I mean, it must have had a really positive impact on, I mean, going back to my last question of you, is there ever a time you second guess yourself? You know, at that point, you're like, I am on my path. You know, this is what I was born to do, right? Did you have that feeling of like, I'm coming into my own as an athlete? And did you start to, you know, have visions of doing amazing things in the sport? Or, um, you know, like, how, how was that? How did you sort of, um, how were you thinking about yourself and your career at that time? I think I started to see the potential for it to be something more than just a hobby, you know, like at school, it was kind of like, yeah, running's great as a hobby, Lucy, but what are you going to do for a job? Um, and when I had, you know, some, some success and I got, you know, the support of Solomon super young and then went to that Solomon junior Academy and had like an international support it kind of, yeah, you know, it was like, oh, wow, I could really do something with this. And, you know, like this feels right and it feels natural and it feels like I'm following what sets my heart on fire. And, um, you know, it feels easy. It feels effortless and I'm, I'm doing well at it. So that's great. Um, but I think it also, that also then just became like the expectation that it mm. would feel easy, that it would feel great. And that, you know, that was how it was always going to be, you know, like we, you've spoken about on so many of your podcasts is like, you think you've got it worked out. Yeah, and exactly. like for two years, I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I got this. <laughs> and now I've come out of two years of being like, what's happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and those moments is when you feel like you have figured everything out. I think that's when you're most vulnerable to, being taught a very serious and severe lesson. And, and you and I both sort of hit rough patches at around the same time. And 
you know, we've, we haven't really gone in depth about Western States, but in 2018, you finished third place. You were leading the race for a big portion of the event and an amazing debut hundred mile race, especially at what is no question, the most important hundred mile race in North America. One of the most important races in the world. You're still super, super young. And then coming back the next year to Western States, probably with similar ambitions, if not maybe even winning the race. And it went terribly. Well, I mean, it didn't go terribly, but it didn't go nearly as well as it did the year before and to, you know, where you probably wanted it to uh, be in 2019. <clears throat> and I think, you know, for both of us looking back at sort of that, time a couple of years ago, we both sort of like fell into really tough uh, moments in our lives and in our careers. I wondered if you were open to talking about that. Did it start kind of at Western States that year? And um, what have you, what have you learned? What can you share? Yeah. So going back, you know, I finished 2017 um, and I won Ultra Trail Cape Town. I remember finishing the year and thinking, cool, like I've done a lot of 100K races. And, you know, I'd kept hearing that whilst I was young, I should do some like faster stuff. And so I finished the year and I was like, I'm going to do like Zagama and I'm going to do Mont Blanc Marathon. I'm going to like cap at 50K kind of thing. And I was amped on it. I was like, yeah, I've done the long stuff. I've proved myself at that distance, come off a good year of, yeah, Ultra Trail Australia, Ultra Trail Cape Town. And, um, and then, you know, I was kind of having a bit of time off around Christmas and I got an email from Ultra Trail World Tour and they were kind of like, we're really proud to offer you a bib for Western States. And it was kind of like, I'd like called the airlines and was like, cancel all those flights to those short races. <laughs> like, I'm going to Western States. Um, because, you know, for me, Western States, you know, my dad and I have watched Unbreakable too many times. Um, and it was like, best the movie race. ever, best movie, best movie ever. ever. Hands yes. down. <laughs> I was just run a camp on the weekend and it yeah. was the, we were like, what movie should we watch? And I was like, don't worry, I've got it covered. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, my dad's been trying to get into Western States for eight years now. And so to be offered a bib, it was kind of like, wow, this is such an opportunity. So I got this email, I called my dad, you know, radio silence. When I told him, it was kind of like, oh, you haven't even put your name in the ballot and you get called out. <laughs> I bet he was um, so bitter, but so proud at the so, same time. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. I was kind of like, are you going to come crew? And he was like, why would I do that? And I was like, because we can share this. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it was kind of like, I got that email and the next day I was like, right, I'm training for Western States. And, you know, all that like, oh, I'm going to take some rest and then build up for short races was gone. And, you know, I just committed myself. I was like, I want to stand in Squaw Valley and I want to be at no stone unturned. And I woke up every day and I was, I mean, probably how you feel for hard rock, you know, where you're just like, every day I want to wake up to do something to help myself tomorrow. And it was just kind of, when you start training for Western States in December, you've got like quite a long time to build up. But I like held that motivation the whole way. And I, mm -hmm. I raced the Tatawira 60. I won that. I raced the Shot Over Marathon. I won that. I ran the Mototafu. I came second in that. And I did this build up and I raced the Ultra Trail Australia 22K and um, won and set a course record there. And I was kind of like, you know, things were going really well. And that is like 
<laughs> I almost raced the race before the race at Western mm-hmm. States. You know, I re- outraced myself, but I was so amped. I went and did Memorial Day training weekend at the Western States, ran the course, was running all like super easy and was like, this is going to be like, I'm kind of set my time that I wanted to run. And, you know, Tim Tweetmeyer was like, you know, giving me advice and he gave me three pieces of advice for the race. And he was like, you know, don't get to the top of the escarpment first at Robinson flat at 50 K have a, like a solid food before going into the canyons and at forest Hill, the race begins. And so I ran, you know, and starting up the race and I was like the first to the top of the escarpment, like just behind like Cody Reed and the Wormsleys and that. And I'm like, damn, like I screwed up the first checkpoint, like <laughs> Tim's plan. And I get to Robinson flat and I'm leading. And I was like, you know, there's just cameras and people. And I just like ran straight through and was just like, damn, I didn't get the water or the food that I was meant to yeah. do. And and then I got to Forest Hill and I was like, yeah, my race is like done. Like I just ran the 100K Western States and now I've got to suffer for 60. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of like, you know, a an incredible experience. And someone wrote an article and was like, you know, Lucy ran Western States like a, a, like a puppy brought home for the first time where it was just like <laughs> looking everywhere and just like super excited. Oh, you know, what a great way to describe it. Yeah. Totally. This little like golden retriever though, like with her blonde hair, she was just everywhere yeah. and smiling. And, you know, when I got passed by Courtney Dewater, you know, it's the highlight of my racing career was, was her passing me because mm. it was just like, the way she passed me, she was listening to Michael Jackson in her headphones and she was like, hop on the train, Lucy. And yes. I was like, I'm like dying, Courtney. And, you know, my favorite thing was that she got to the checkpoint and she said to my dad, you know, she stopped before her crew and spoke to my dad and said, oh, Lucy's 10 minutes back and she's getting really dehydrated and all this. And I was like, you know, for her to take that time, you know, my dad was just like, oh my God, I'm talking to Courtney Dewar. Yeah, he's starstruck. <laughs> he's like, yeah. yeah, took none of it in, didn't like, really uh, care where yeah. I was. Hey, right, right. Um, anyway, so I finished that race and kind of the biggest thing that I started to start to do was disrespect the distances of ultra running. You mm-hmm. know, I was racing so much and it was kind of like 60 Ks was no big deal. I was running. And so I finished Western States, my first hundred miler, flew to Mexico to surf and to relax with my dad. And within days I was back running and kind of wasn't getting that same fulfillment from surfing. So I was like just running instead. And then I went to Silverton to watch the hard rock and Mm -hmm. ended up running the hard rock course with, you know, the likes of Zach Miller, Hillary Allen, Jason Coop. You did the soft rock. Yeah. We did the soft rock, which was like, two and a half or three weeks after Western States. Um, and then after that, yeah, well, wait for this. Mm-hmm. Then I, Hillary's like, Oh, I need a partner for trans Rockies the following week. And I was like, hit me up. Like I'm here. Um, so we ran trans Rockies together and then I finished trans Rockies flew to Chamonix, ran the OCC, um, ran like okay considering I mean I could have done anything after Western States everyone was like you know oh she can do she could do anything now sure yeah I could have rested and everyone would have been like oh we understand but I you know I felt like I needed to do more flew home via Hong Kong put on a camp in Hong Kong got to Australia my dad was running a local 100k and and at that point I was like 100ks is nothing like (laughs) I've been doing these long races And then by that time, it was coming around to that same date that I got that email about getting into Western States. 
And I was like, well, I'm returning. I need to do exactly what I just did. And so I went straight into training again. Um, And I found a new coach um, because I was like, oh, I need to do more. And Mayal was coaching me and he wasn't going to like coach me to do more. And I was like, well, I'll find someone that will. Um, So I took on a new coach and, you know, January 1, I went for a run, rolled my ankle, like snapped it pretty hard. And um, I was like, please don't tell me this is like how this year is going to be. And yeah. it pretty much summed up my year. It was just kind Same. of. Every- I broke my <laughs> ankle and then it was like the whole year was just absolute dog shit. It was terrible. Yeah. Oh man. And I like, you know, I did all these runs and I was, you know, comparison is the thief of all joy. Yeah. And I was comparing it to the year before and I was like, man, like I should be like hitting this and I should be fit and I should be like growing from this. Um, and then, you know, like this other coach that I had, had me running, you know, one week I did the Alta Trail Australia 50K, flew to America and ran 240Ks that week. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just was hating running. I'd outrun my love of it. I was not interested in, you know, you said, you know, you must have had big expectations for Western States. By that point, I was like, how do I get out of this? You know, like, I don't want to do it. See, I mean, this is what I talk about all the time is like, it's so important to be standing on the start line, like absolutely desperately needing to go through it, you know, not just like, Oh, I'm so excited to have the opportunity. No, it's like, I can't wait to just absolutely turn myself inside out. I want to talk a little bit about this first Western States a little bit more because it's so interesting to hear you describe it. And especially the moment with Courtney DeWalter when she passed you at what point in the race was that? Cause it reminds me of a moment in my career too, at the, um, I think it was 2012 run rabbit run hundred. I, w- I found myself in the lead in the middle of the night. It's like mile 70 or something. And I got passed by Carl Meltzer uh, who went on to win to run rabbit run hundred. And of course he's won more hundred mile races than anybody in history. And it was like a really important moment in my career, you know, like an absolutely pivotal learning experience of being passed by, it's almost like, you know, living inside of a hundred mile textbook, right? Just mispacing it ever so slightly and having the hundred mile master come past you and just show you how it's done, you know, and show me like, the way to do it next time. Was it similar with you and, and Courtney? And, and um, yeah, like what, what were, what were your feelings like after finishing on the podium at Western States um, in 2018? Your first ever yeah. miler too. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, Courtney passing me was, it was just before com- the, the last climb up to Michigan buff. So you're at, I don't know exactly what kind of distance you'd be at 50. there. You're halfway. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was incredible. You know, obviously I'd heard that she was getting closer and closer through the canyons. Um, and yeah, when she passed me, I kind of just like, you know, it was such an admiration. I was just like, man, she looks so fresh and she looks so happy. And like, you know, she's just jamming out to some Michael Jackson and like, you know, but she wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like a passing and then it was, she was gone. You know, she was like, Oh, like, let's just, you know, get up this climb together. And like, you know, it was, there was such a, like, I think a respect between the two of us, you know, she having, you know, I think cause her first hundred miler didn't go to plan. So she was kind of like, man, Lucy, like, 
you are you're in it and you're in it deep like this is so awesome to see and to be a part of yeah and I think that she just kind of yeah she only wanted the best for me out there and it was so cool I mean yeah there's probably no one I look up to more in her attitude towards running and towards empowering other women and empowering other people in the sport so true um yeah so that was incredible and you know then Caitlin Gerben passing me again you couldn't get two more badass women who just like they don't just pass like Caitlin passed me in the night and she like came to a walk next to me and was just like you've got this Lucy like hold on and I was just like you know like, isn't it Sally the most McRae. beautiful thing it's like the most amazing thing that people do yeah. that in our sport it's just like I don't know. Oh, was, this is what this is beautiful. why I, I just am obsessed with, uh, yeah, trying to proselytize the gospel of ultra running to as many people as I possibly can because it's just like the most life changing thing. And then in the middle of this heated competition, you can have two of the best women in the world come pass you and beat you, but also you know say good job, man, you're doing awesome. And it's like especially for a young twenty two year old woman like it's just like what an amazing opportunity to learn and develop as an athlete and to see what you want to be to pass on to the next generation when it's your turn as well so I guess going back to um you know when after western states and you just sort of kept riding this momentum was it born out of confidence in this huge amazing result you just had or was it born out of like some insecurity that you needed to keep proving yourself or was it just like you were addicted to the shred I would say that I was just a, I just kind of felt like you know when the, when you're so so fit anything less than that and you're like oh, I'm so unfit I'm gonna lose it all you know and uh. it was just kind of like this addiction to that feeling of like oh yeah I can just like rock up in Silverton after doing being in Mexico like being at sea level and I can come and I'll be like sure yeah I'll come run around the mountains with like three of the goats of running like (laughs) sure and then yeah I'll do trans Rockies and like push myself for eight days and then go race in the European mountains it was kind of just like you know I look back and I'm like it's just so disrespectful to the nature the distances my body you know and but in my mind I was just like oh what if I never get this opportunity again and now I'm realizing that like you know they they won't come around again if I'm injured and I absolutely hate running. So (laughs) better to preserve that. Well, it's so true. And I think I've experienced it in my career too, where when things are really clicking and you have one race after the next, that's just going really well. And the training in between just keeps clicking and clicking. You just are sort of filled with this arrogance that this is never going to end, you know? And it always ends and therefore it's always better to not step all the way up to the line. And I remember when we met in Cape town, you and Meg McKenzie were complimenting me and my ability to turn it off, to like chill, to not train, to like take time off after races. Is that something that you've always kind of struggled with? And is it, it, it's, it's just like a feeling of, being, being addicted to this feeling of, of fitness and I'm strong and I'm capable. Well, I think it goes back to, you know, when I was doing all that running with my dad and racing and we were constantly, you know, going on start lines. And the difference was, was that the start lines I was going on 
were a lot tougher. The courses and the competition was a lot stronger. And so you had to work a lot harder. And I didn't really like respect that step up. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, new level, new devil. And so every time you rise up and you level up, you know, there's this new challenge that you have to overcome, you know, like Super Mario, you know, it's like every time you go up a level, you know, that monster gets a little strong. (laughs) Oh, I love this. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like, it was like that, you know, I was on a new level, the challenges, the expectations, the, the monsters were bigger and stronger. And I kind of wasn't really rising to that. I was just kind of, oh, like, I'll just stand on every start line and expect that I'll have the same ease and success. Um, But as the sports strengthened, which is just so incredible. um, Yeah. You've got to pick and choose now because it's uh, it, you go to the well a lot more often. (laughs) Yeah. So then kind of catch us up. Like you, you sort of burned out. You didn't have a good race at Western States. You showed up not ready to go to the well, like you wanted to not excited to go to that place at least catch us up from there. I mean, how, how have things been for you physically, psychologically in your approach to the sport? Yeah. So I finished that Western States and I finished it mainly because I had my, my brother there and he really wanted to run down to Rocky Chucky and I wanted to give him that experience. And then I had Sally McRae who was going to walk it in with me and she kind of had seen me in 2018, you know, flying and she ran with me and then she, yeah, walked with me through the night trying to just make me answer really like silly questions just to pass time. So I finished that race. This time we went to Hawaii to surf and this time I was not interested in running at all. Um, And then I flew into Chamonix again and this time I was in for CCC and, you know, like past Lucy, you know, I'd done trans, I'd done hard rock and I'd done trans Rockies and I was doing OCC and this time I hadn't done those two things. So CCC was like a great idea. But I flew into Chamonix, a place that has always been like soul fulfilling and just like, you know, I get off the plane in Geneva and I'm just like, can't wait to run the Petit Balcon and get up to, you know, you know exactly how it is at Plan Praire or, you know, all that. And uh, yeah, I landed and I was like, oh man, I don't want to be here. Like, I, you know, and it was like this real like heartbreaking moment of, mm. you know, I'm not excited to run and I'm like not stoked on where I'm at and how I feel. And I was in this Solomon house with, you know, athletes who were exactly like that, like ready to stand on a start line and just like give it hell. And I just couldn't meet that energy. I was just like, yeah, yeah, like I guess it's a good idea. And and then ultimately I just kind of was on a like a really bad run out there and I was just like, I don't want to do this. And I think that's like a really incredible feeling. And I just kind of, you know, I said, just was like, I'm not doing it. And I, you know, my Solomon was like, well, you need to put that on social media because people are here to follow along and to mm-hmm. and to see you. And I posted it and the sympathy and the the questions of like, oh, are you injured? And I was like, no, I'm not injured. I just don't want to do it, you know? And mm. I think like I really struggled with that because I'd walk around the expo and, you know, I wish I'd had a cast on my leg just so people would leave me alone and be like, yeah. oh, that's why she's not doing it. Um, and so I didn't do the run. I just watched, I crewed um, some Solomon athletes. I watched amazing performances and then I flew home and I flew home um, 
via Bali and just did some more surfing and just really just wanted to step away from the sport for a bit and step away from social media. And, um, I got started getting coached by David Roach. So I Mm. left the coach who was kind of, um, yeah, making me run far too much and Mm. didn't understand females probably as well as could have. Um, and then, yeah, you know, signed up for Tatawira to do the following year and kind of was like hopeful that I would feel good again. And, ran Tatawira but didn't feel good and was just like you know I've lost this I've lost the plot on this mm-hmm. thing and my body in my body and my um hormones and all my systems were kind of just like failing um like and it's, so it's up, just like rejecting what you're trying to do it's just not absorbing it you know yeah. like you know stress plus rest equals growth is like the the equation we all go off Mm -hmm. and I was like the stress was just far too much because I was just so like stressed about not being the runner that I'd been in 2018 and then like trying to perform and I couldn't and I couldn't run and I wasn't enjoying it and that made me stress more and then you know you're just kind of like you're never going to grow from that so I flew to Nepal and I ended up going to this um, retreat that was like a it was an amazing experience. It was a, it started off with three days of silence. Um, and you got there and they kind of like put you in a robe and they're like, you know, you wear your clothes as your identity. And like, when you rocked up here, you're wearing runners and you're wearing running clothes and we're like, Oh, she's an athlete, whatever. And then you take this robe off. So you take, put this robe on and you're surrounded by people and you can't speak and you create these stories and assumptions about these people and they do it about you. And then it kind of really just opened my eyes to like how much I was tied up in being a runner. And then when these people met me and they were like, Oh no, we thought, you know, you did something else. And Oh, you know, like we just thought, you know, it's just kind of like these stories we create on ourselves and we think that other people have on us. Um, and then ran around the Himalayas for a bit and was just like, you know, I, I love running and I love moving. I love nature. I don't need the competition. I don't need the bibs and I don't need the sponsorship and all of that. It's great. And it's fun. And it's like, you know, it adds to the experience and creates new ones. But, um, that's where like Lara Pinto was dreamt of was like, I can just go out and do these things. I don't need permission and I don't need people to congratulate me or feel sorry for me if it goes well or if it doesn't, because at the end of the day, what matters is how I feel. And me just trying is like me succeeding. What a profound lesson. And I so identify with it so much because I had a similar experience of just feeling that my body was just rejecting running and training the way that I used to, and then being consumed with the questions of, well, maybe I've just done this too much. Maybe 10 years of running ultras and training my ass off has just run its course. And this is the finish line of what my body can tolerate and then being confronted with this identity crisis right and the way you describe going to retreat and people seeing you as an athlete right this is one of my big realizations too is like you know having my entire wardrobe be north face clothes and every hat that i own has a red bull logo on it and so then it's like 
every day you're putting on this stupid fucking uniform of just, I mean, even though it's great and I love the support that I get and the people who I feel an immense loyalty and affection for at these brands, you know, you, you're at some point you're, you're putting on a uniform, you know, you're like putting on a show and, totally. and, and especially then when you can't back it up, right. With your results or when you feel like you're putting on the show, but behind the curtain, you're just a fraud who's no longer a good athlete. It's like an immensely difficult thing, right? It's such a hard freaking thing. It so, totally is. So like, I, I so feel, feel your pain and we were going through it at the same time together. And, and, um, you know, it's, for me, I was really lucky that it happened when it did, because I mean, I've been so lucky with my health throughout my career and whatever, but if I would have come to sort of like the end of my, the real end of my career, when I'm really aged out of being competitive without having gone through something like that and confronting retirement, it would have been enormously painful for me. And now being back and enjoying it again and feeling confident in my body again and all that stuff. I don't know. I feel like I've grown in and matured in a way that I never would have otherwise. And I can look back confidently and say, this was a positive uh, experience in my life, even though it was painful as hell. Do you identify with that? Do you want to add anything about uh, the, uh, the past uh, couple of years of, of adversity? Yeah, I feel very, very similar. I feel like I've spoken, you know, I'm very open on my social media and I've spoken a lot about you know, the struggles I've had. Um, I don't just kind of talk yeah. about the highlights. Um, and I think that the way that it allows you to connect with people who are like, wow, you know, Dylan or Lucy, they are human and they do, you know, everyone has this roller coaster, whether people want to recognize it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that like even following you through your journey was just like so reassuring to me because it was kind of like, you know, I see where you're at now and you're training and I'm just like, it's, it's cool. You, you can come back from it, mm -hmm. you know, with a little bit of love and respect and time, you know, things pass. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that my ability to, like, I look back and if it, if it, if I, anything I learned through that time, I can talk to someone and say like, this is what I learned. This is what I would do differently. And like share that experience. Then yeah, you know, like someone's, someone always had to learn the hard way in life to learn the lessons that we all think we know now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I'm happy to have been that person because I've always kind of tried to pave a new path. And with that wow. comes, yeah, some pretty hard work. Yeah. So you alluded to something else that I really uh, find fascinating about you or admirable about, admirable about you. And that is just the fact that you are super open on social media and you are like more than an athlete and you do a great job of like diversifying your impact on the people who follow you, your fans beyond just training and racing at a high level. Um, can you talk about some of those other projects that you have that sort of create Lucy Bartholomew, the 360 degree human being, you know, your, your cookbook and your training plans and the camps and things that you do and how, how maybe that was, um, part of the, the way that you've sort of navigated that tough part of your career. 
Yeah. So during 2020, you know, we all obviously went into lockdown and I, in, in Melbourne where I lived, we had some pretty strict lockdowns. We had, you know, one hour of running or one hour of exercise a day, five kilometer radius. Um, and I totally embraced that. I was like, thank God, this is great. You know, like small little runs. And then I've got the whole time at home. And I kind of just wanted to find things to do other than, you know, I'd usually spend two, three hours running a day. And all of a sudden I had these new hours to, to use and making a cookbook was something I've always wanted to do. I follow a plant-based diet and the curiosity around that and around people's, what they eat is, is massive. Um, and so I wanted to put something out there and like, I made the, the cookbook predominantly for my dad for when I went away so that he could cook for himself and look after himself well mm-hmm. um and then kind of saw that this was something especially during 2020 people started to really look at their health and what they were eating and that cookbook's all about kind of you know being sustainable being like cost effective and like it's not woo woo products that you have to source from god knows where it's things that everyone can kind of get their hands on so I did that. And then um, the other projects that I kind of looked at, like I do camps and I've done them for three years now. Um, and I've done a lot of them with Mayel Backhausen, mm-hmm. so our mutual friend. And they're kind of just like, they're so little about running. At the end of the day, we go out and we run, but you mainly just run to get the blood flowing. So then you can kind of sit down and have some really good conversations. And it's like mindset and kind of just, you know, finding your why and understanding what you, what you want out of this sport. And, um, you know, because the mind is so important in ultra running, you know, far more than the body. Um, I think we all focus on the the hard training and the physical exertion rather than the, the mind process. Um, so those camps were kind of something that, yeah, I've done a few, I've done one international in South Africa and I would love to kind of take them further and around the world. Um, because community is, you know, when I think of my why, it's always been about sharing it and sharing it with my dad or sharing it with people. Mm. And, you know, I think that's why like, I love races because I love that everyone comes together and I love seeing people push themselves and support each other through something. Um, and myself, I love feeling supported and I love that sharing that journey. But these camps are kind of like a way of bringing people together without that competitive, you know, zone that everyone goes into. Yeah. Um, and, um, and just to look people in the eye and to hear their stories. And, you know, like those camps are not about me talking about my experiences. They're about others telling me about them because yeah. that's what I love. I love, I love my favorite thing about ultra running is wondering why people decided that they were going to sacrifice time in their life to go running and hearing about where they've come from and how many kids and their jobs and the things they've overcome. And you're just like, man, you know, for you to have added running to that, like, yeah that potion is just like so incredible um and so yeah that's kind of they're like my two projects that have yeah taken up a a lot of myself to kind of expand from being just an athlete yeah yeah the the reason I ask is because I think you represent in a lot of ways the modern pro athlete and somebody who does it well right like and especially in a sport where nobody's getting rich. Right. So you, you sort of have to be creative, but also you have time on your hands. You might as well freaking use it to do something cool. Have you, uh, have any sort of younger athletes who are coming up reached out to kind of get 
um, advice from you in the same way that maybe you reached out to Emily Forsberg when you were younger and, and had her sort of mentor you in, in your journey as well. Now are you sort of taking on that mantle yourself? Yeah, I feel really privileged. Like my, you know, the biggest thing for my social media is that I want to, I want people to ask me questions and I want to be approachable. Um, and I think that that's the coolest thing about social media is that it gives people a voice to talk. Um, and so I've had like a lot of young people that have asked, but I think it's really interesting, you know, cause you, they say they want to run altars and they want to be sponsored and they want this lifestyle. And I, I very honestly say, you know, like, don't rush towards like that shouldn't be your why your why is not to wear a red bull hat or to wear solomon to have everything in your closet be solomon like that's not enlightenment that's not your that's not the happiest point yeah. your point should be you know i think yeah i feel like after running that 100k's you know because i wasn't doing it to to be anything i wasn't trying to be the first or the youngest or whatever um i was just doing it for for me and to share it with my my dad um, I think it's kind of, yeah, I really question people's like, especially young, like, why are you coming into this sport? Why do you feel like ultra running's the calling? Um, and you know, what do you feel like you can give back rather than take from the sport? Because, um, yeah, that's kind of like my focus is giving back rather than has really switched from like in 2017, 2018, I got a lot from the sport. I got mm. a lot of accolades. I got a lot of acknowledgement and media and that's great. But now it's kind of like I want to switch it for the focus now because that that was great, but I want to give back now. And I'm in a place where giving feels more natural than taking. Man, we're twins. I mean, I feel the exact <laughs> same way about my career, but I'm 10 years older than you. How depressing. It took me 10 years <laughs> to learn this shit. God. Yeah, but you created an app. I mean, it's yeah, life-changing. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, it's cool. And it's beautifully said. And like I said, I think there's a lot of lessons in how you've conducted yourself Um you know, as, as an athlete and as a person beyond being simply an athlete that the next generation can, can, can really learn from. So it's great that you're, you're, uh, yeah, sort of leading by example in that way, but also making yourself available to people who, uh, who do want to sort of follow in your footsteps. So let's talk about your, your recent adventure, shall we? It's freaking so cool. And it was so amazing to follow along on your Instagram. Um, and it seemed like you had some people sort of behind uh, behind the uh the camera posting for you while you're out on just some mega vision quest so i guess let's start by just uh yeah tell the people what the the larapenta trail is uh how the the idea came about and yeah maybe some of the statistics that uh can help us kind of paint a picture of how long and hard it is yeah, so the Larapinta Trail is a uh, 231 kilometer. I have no idea what that is in miles. Do you? I think it's like 130. I'll look it up. Keep going. Okay, <laughs> 130 miles. Um, and it runs out of Alice Springs, which is like a small community in the middle of Australia, right in the, the heart center. Um, and it runs either from Alice Springs or towards Alice Springs, depending on which way you go. Um, so I started at Mount Sonder, which is on the other end. And that's like a very indigenous, sacred mountain. Um, so you summit that, come back down, and then you head towards Alice. Um, so 231 kilometers. It's got about 8,000 meters of climbing. So not huge, but you spend a lot of that like in rocky riverbeds. Um, it's super, super scree and technical. And then the, the biggest thing is the heat. Um, and so the hiking season people usually hike it over about 
14 to 16 days. Um, and they usually do it in the months of like May, June, when it's a bit cooler out there. That's so winter, like, winter in your neck of the woods. Yeah. So yes, that's winter. Um, and so I did it before, um, it really had cooled down and also having done it just after a year of COVID where no one was able to pass through the trails where um, some of their most overgrown that they've ever been. And then we had this extraordinary um, water downpour. And so all those dry riverbeds um, were actually gorges of water that I was freestyling through. <laughs> There's a great video of that on your Instagram too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's like 138 miles. It's in like the dead center of the continent of Australia in the heart of the outback, a place I've never been, but I've always sort of like wanted to check out just in terms of its remoteness and the vastness. And this is something I always talk to our friend, Myel Backhausen about it, just like how huge the, the continent of Australia is. It's like nearly the size of the United States yet there's a fraction of the people and they, they all live on the coast. So you're really just kind of in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So, so what, uh, what motivated you to do this adventure? You said that it sort of came about as an idea when you were kind of going through um, the low point that we just talked about a moment ago, how did the idea come to you and why did you choose to do it? So I'd heard about, I'd heard about, it was mainly about Alice Springs. The trail was kind of secondary to wanting to visit the community. Uh -huh. um, my parents um, traveled around Australia and my mom, who doesn't really have um, many comments to say on many places, she kind of said, you know, Alice Springs was something, a place that kind of, she kind of felt something and it really kind of drew her in and was, yeah, she's not someone who likes the desert or the hot or anything, but for her to say that and for a lot of people to say that, you know, they, you know, they go to Alice Springs and you never leave, like it gets under your skin, it gets in mm. your nails. And, and I was just so curious. And so I wanted to go and visit it. And I remember, you know, saying to Solomon, this is what I want to do. I want to go and meet this community and kind of learn about how this community integrates with the indigenous. Cause it's got a high indigenous, um, uh, settlements out there and they, yeah. and they kind of do it really nicely. And, um, yeah, so I was kind of intrigued by the community and then looked into the Lyra Pinta trail and that kind of distance, you know, I was saying like a hundred miles was kind of like very much like that was a hard wall of how far I was planning on going. Um, but the more I read about it and the more I spoke about it, I was just like, you know, I really think that that would be such a cool way to experience that land in its, you know, I've always been an extremist, you know, I'm either like, I don't have any alcohol or any coffee or I run 250 kilometers at once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same. I think a lot of people are, the, are that way who listen to the show at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of was just like, that's my way of experiencing it. And what I was hoping was to feel that community, um, that community strength on my run. And it was, you know, I didn't know what I was going for and I didn't know what I was going towards and I didn't tell anyone what my plan was, but you know, when the whole community of like Alice Springs came out to meet me with 25 Ks to go and run me in, it was kind of like, this is what this place is. Like these people that live in an isolated bubble in the middle of Australia in like some of the most brutal conditions, you know, the heat, the dryness, the, the, flies the just everything about it is challenging um but they all love it and there's something about the desert that 
yeah, I can see its beauty. And after spending, you know, 50 hours walking and running through it, I'm like, yeah, I can see how this place gets under your skin and into your heart. Yeah. So 50 hours was the total length of the, uh, the effort. How did you manage something that long? Because even though it's 140 miles, of course, it's about 40 miles longer than you'd gone previously, but in terms of time, it's what, 30 hours longer than you'd gone. (laughs) So it's more than double the time that you had to spend out there. Were you anticipating it taking that long and maybe share some of the, uh, the highlights or the, uh, you know, moments of desperation that you encountered along the trail? Yeah. So the men's record for that distance is there is a race out there that does the whole 230 kilometers. And so the men's record for that is 40 hours. And then the women's record was 64, 62. And I was kind of like, that's a huge disparity. Like, wow. you know, yeah. and I was, you know, I was like ballparking to be somewhere in between that. Um, but I was kind of hoping and had like conditions been better to be closer to that 40 hours. Uh-huh. Um, and yet that's still double the length, the longest that I'd ever been out. The longest yeah. I'd been out was TDS at 20, 20 hours and something minutes. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was kind of like, I think blissfully unaware of, you know, I didn't even think about the whole sleep thing, um, which kind of turned out to be like such a pivotal thing. But for me, you know, the highlights, you know, we started going up Mount Sonder and I had my, I had two guys crewing me, Brian Hines and Josh Lynott, and they came up with me up the mountain, came down and then, you know, waved goodbye. And then I started out and I was like running along thinking, you know, the sun was setting because we started at two o'clock in the mid uh, around midday in the afternoon. And, um, I was running along and I was like, wow, this is great. And then I just like hit the deck (laughs) and I just remember like getting up, my hands were bleeding, my knees were bleeding and just like looking around these mountains and having this like sudden like anxiety and like being like, wow, I'm like out here alone. And like, if I fall really badly or if I hurt my ankle, like I am, you know, suddenly I was like looking around going, I'm so out here. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was like, you know, I was like 20 K. I mean, it, it goes back to just the, <laughs> this, this theme of independence in your life, you know, like, being... No, but then I like got up to the top of a ridge and called my dad. Oh, you did. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. I would have done the same thing. I would have called my mom like, mom, yeah. help me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I called my dad and I, you know, he's sitting on the couch and he's just like, oh, Lucy, like, you know, I didn't expect to hear from you. And I was like, <laughs> well, like a dad, I, and I just cried to him and I was like, I'm just not the runner I used to be. And I just mm-hmm. like, don't know if I can do this. And like my, I've already fallen and like really like just cut so, myself out. Wow. How far into the effort was this? This is early, this is right? Like 30 kilometers yeah, in. Wow. Holy smokes. I just had this like, yeah, this kind of, yeah, just thought of like, wow, you know, I'm so far away and I'm so not prepared. And, you know, my I've come out of lockdown of running an oh. hour a day. Like my fitness isn't great, but like David Roach, my coach said, you know, when it goes over 50 Ks, fitness becomes less and less important and it becomes more about being uninjured and being stoked. Uh And I was both those things, you know, (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't hurt. (laughs) That was great coaching. Yeah. uh, Yes. Um, and so, 
yeah, so I called my dad and I just cried and said, I don't think I can do this. I'm not the runner I used to be. I'm not strong enough. And he said to me, he said, Lucy, you've always come to places in races and it's gone to the night and you've put a head torch on and life's been simplified. You don't see the big mountains. You don't feel as like in the middle of nowhere because all you focus on is that spotlight. And he's like, just back yourself into the night, just like, you know, give yourself that time, let it cool down from the day, take a few deep breaths, like walk your way out of this. And, um, yeah, the, the night was the thing that I was dreading the most. And it turned out to be, you know, I had two long nights and they were the most beautiful moments of the whole thing. Cause it was kind of like, I felt very like badass and I felt very empowered. And I was just like, it was also much easier to navigate because the reflectors would reflect with my headlight and, yeah you know, when life simplifies for me, I feel very like, oh, okay, I can deal with like this spot of headlight, this spot of headlight. And just like, that's how I moved on. Whereas in the day when I look around and just be like, dear Lord, like I am not close to like a road or anything. Yeah. Um, it's so, so true. Went- I mean, that's my favorite stuff as well, even though we get into the sport because we love the sunny days when you have these amazing views and you are looking off the top of some majestic mountain, but there's nothing like just being out solo with a headlamp on at night in some wild place. It's just the greatest, most addicting feeling ever. So you mentioned sleep just a second ago. How did you approach that? Cause 50 hours, I mean, I've never gone over 20 hours myself and I assume that was kind of a critical part of the overall effort. How did you manage sleep and how much sleep did you get total while you were out on the trail? So I had my first sleep after 30, 35 hours of moving. Um, and it was kind of out of necessity because I was starting to just fall asleep and trip yeah. and then hit the deck. And I was, I actually at that point had picked up um, Josh. He kind of was very concerned because I went mm. through before needing to sleep um, that next day after that really nice night section, I got severely dehydrated. I misread the map and I was told like, Oh, Lucy, you're going to go through this gorge. You're going to be swimming through water. And so I just, you know, stupidly didn't take much water thinking I'll just be like swimming and drinking. Like I'll be fine. Um, and I remember cresting this hill and looking out at this like plateau and looking for like that reflection or like glimmer of water. And I looked out and I was like, there is, there is nothing out there. And so I dropped down into it and, you know, the midday heat was starting and yeah, I just kind of was looking for like any puddle. It could have been of like cow piss. And I would have been like, Oh, thank God. Like, let me (laughs) use this, you know? And so I went like seven hours without any water. Um, And I got really dehydrated and I was like, you know, I couldn't, it was hard to swallow. And to when I met Josh and Brian, finally, I was like trying to communicate, like I need water and I haven't, you know, I need, I haven't peed in so long. And, um, you know, things started to kind of unravel from there. Cause once you go dehydrated, you, you don't come back without completely stopping. Um, and so we, when I went into the second night, then I did the first bit by myself and I was climbing up this mountain and I was, I was like, wow, this is like really gnarly and really gnarly terrain. And like, I feel like I, like you could almost rock climb this and you need a helmet and a harness. And, um, then when I got down and my phone pinged and it was the guy who, um, 
use my uh, was following my spot tracker and he was like it was a message to my crew and I was um in cc'd into it and it was kind of like Lucy is so far off track that she's on like a super gnarly bit of the mountain like I'm like moments from calling a helicopter because you know it's super sketchy rocks fall all the time and and she's going to be like super scratched up and you know And I'm like, come down and I'm, you know, in my mind, I was just like, yeah, wow, that was like really hectic. You know, people do, I don't know how people do this. And, um, you know, Brian's just there trying to film, but then at the same time be like, are you okay? And I was like, I like totally lost the path and thought that I was, you know, just, I was down climbing with like rocks falling out from underneath me in the middle of the night by myself. And I dropped my phone and shattered the screen, which was like one of my maps and, um, and way of reading it. But the most hectic thing that was happening was that I was hallucinating for the first time. And I've never, have you ever been to the point of having hallucinations? Never. No. Yeah, well, this was my first, like I heard all about it, you know, Courtney sees cougars in hammocks and I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> like, Really nice. You have um, to win but- Western states to see cougars in hammocks, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I'm seeing like anthills that are tents and that's yeah, what you probably yeah, get exactly. for third place at Western yeah, states. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Me too, me too. I got third one time too. <laughs> someday, um, someday. Someday. So I was seeing like all the ant mounds and I was thought they were tents. And I was like, man, I'm like, there's heaps of people out here. It really is a popular walking track. And, you know, I was just going along and then someone was camping at the top of the mountain and he came out of his, his tent and he's like, good job, Lucy. And I was like, you're not real. And he was like, yeah, no, I am. And he shook my hand. And I was like, wow, yeah, well, there's heaps of people camping just along the track. And he was like, nah, there's not. And I was like, yeah, um, which way to Alice Springs? And he was like, oh, 140 Ks that way. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I like walk off in the other direction, just like trip over a rock, Whoa. hit the deck, yeah. get back up. And then he's like, no, no, Lucy, that way. And I was like, oh, okay. So you were just absolutely afraid. Losing so- my mind. Yeah, well, what an amazing adventure. And you, after wanting to bail 30 kilometers in, you did cover all 230 kilometers uh, thereafter to, yeah, take uh, take advantage of uh, this crazy 15 months or whatever we've been going through, do an adventure close to home and and uh, yeah, have another amazing sort of personal project. Did it help you to sort of connect back to the love of the sport? Like one of the things that you wrote on uh, on your Instagram, actually, I wrote it down here because I found it pretty profound. Uh, before you started the trail, you said, I wanted to give my body a chance to trust me again, an act of self-love rather than self-damage. Did you feel like you were able to reconnect with both the the love of the sports, you know, wanting to be out there and trust your your body again after a couple of years of of tough times. Yeah, I think, you know, your body has to trust you to allow you to keep going for that long. And, you know, like I had, after all of that, I had a five minute nap and got back up and kept moving forward. And so in the whole 
you know, 50 hours of, of moving, I slept for a total of seven minutes. Um, <laughs> and so there's a certain element of like, my body was like, all right, like you're going to give us five minutes now because we know you're going to give us many, many hours afterwards. Um, and kind of, you know, really respect what we've been through. And, you know, yeah. they, like there was, yeah, there has to be that element of, of, of love and of respect for, for your mind and your body. So yeah, I feel like what I found out there was, you know, that kind of like I was fine to be in my own headspace because I think that I was really struggling with running alone and just kind of where my thoughts went because they kind of, when I was really struggling, they were just really negative thoughts. You know, it was kind of self-doubt. There was a lot of like, oh, I just don't want to do this, don't want to be here. But on the Lyra Pinter, I definitely was like, Lucy, you chose to be here. You chose to do this. No one cares what you do out here. And, you know, at the end of the day, you could stop at the next point and that's great. Like you experience something new. Um, and then sharing that with Brian and Josh and then having the Alice Springs community come out and just be like so jazzed on this female and 24-year-old doing it at like probably the shittest time to put yourself on that trail. And and they were all like, wow, you're in far better spirits than we thought you'd be because I was, you know, probably like 10 hours slower than I thought I was going to be. And I was yeah. like, no, nah, I'm stoked because I'm here. Like I'm, I'm alive and I did it. And I've, you know, I've overcome so much. Like there's so many, I was telling my dad last night, there's so many stories just in my own mind that, um, that happened and didn't happen. Um, but I'm just like, you know, you have to kind of just ride out things and, you know, things work out in the end. And if it's not, if they haven't worked out, it's not the end. Um, and I kind of just, yeah, just realized the power of, you know, positive self-talk, having good people around you and taking one step at a time and just focusing on making that count. And, uh, yeah, kind of wanting to take that forward in whatever I decide to do. Beautiful. Well, congratulations. What an awesome accomplishment. What a great way to prove to yourself that you still have it. And uh, yeah, just what a badass, hard thing to successfully navigate both the physical aspect, which is obvious covering such immense ground in what seemed like really difficult conditions and also to have the moments where you want to quit and you keep going and you're rewarded with a, a new, a new standard and, and the community of Alice Springs to, to greet you and pat you on the back. So that's awesome, Lucy. Um, and thanks for sharing the, the story with us both here on the podcast and on your Instagram. I would definitely recommend people go back and read some of your posts and look at some of the images. It really does look like a inhospitable <laughs> sort of like Mars landscape out there. And uh, yeah, you, you, you put it, uh, you put it behind you. So good work. So what's, uh, what's next for you, Lucy? Like now that you've got the Lara Pinta down, obviously in one of the key learnings of our conversation here is that after these big efforts, it's really important to not search for the next thing and not burn yourself out. And you've learned that the hard way in your career. And so have I, <laughs> many people have, um, but I'm curious about like what, what motivates you about the future, um, whether it's competition or personal projects or community things, what else are you looking forward to this year? Yeah. So when I, like when I finished Lyra Pinter, someone said like, what's next? And I remember saying like, I don't need a next, like I've got it now. And yeah. that's kind of like the biggest thing for me is 
um, just sitting in this and just being like, you know, this was something I did and yes, life's moved on and there's new races coming up and, you know, things are starting to open up and not getting, um, wrapped up in all of that. So for me, you know, like, um, obviously I deferred for Western States. Uh, so as an international, they kind of said, it's probably not plausible for you to get across. And, you know, that's why Lyra Pinta happened when it did. And then, um, I kind of feel the same will be for UTMB. I don't really see Australia opening up, um, cause I am in for UTMB. So I'm actually going to, um, to do some shorter stuff. I'm really excited to do that marathon up to marathon distance kind of work. And I'm actually in December going to do an Ironman and just kind of do some, um, cycling and swimming and just like a, a race that totally like freaks me out again, like another thing that scares me, but it's also just like a super fun, I have no expectations except for I want to do my best and kind of switch it up a little bit and give my body a little bit of break and yeah, get back some monks running with the community and just kind of, yeah, you know, you can go, you can go fast alone or you can go far together. And I'm yeah, definitely leaning towards going far with people. Oh, it's so smart. Well, congratulations again. And I'll look forward to seeing how you do and, and what you choose to do both in, in the shorter distance stuff and definitely in the Ironman too. I think that's an awesome challenge that you're setting for yourself. And I think it's really smart. You know, we've all uh, put ourselves through a lot of uh, long, hard endurance type efforts. And I think the human body does like to switch things up and responds well to novel stimulus. And I'm sure David Roche will have a lot of good, uh, good training uh, to help you uh, navigate in that direction. But Lucy, this has been an absolute joy. It's so fun to, to see you again here on the wonderful technology of zoom. It's been so fun to share a conversation and uh, yeah, I hope uh, all goes well for you and things do start opening up and that we can see each other in person in the near future. Yeah. Thanks Dylan. And like, yeah, like I said, this podcast was like a huge part of me getting through a lot of those hard times and a lot of, um, 2020, I think a lot of people uh, love the the art of conversation and we all lacked it because we didn't get to see anyone. <laughs> so but true. to have you in my ears and the guests you've had and you will have is, you know, it's so inspiring and what you've done with Pillars and your training towards Hard Rock. I wish you nothing but the best. Well, thanks so much. You're too kind to many more in the future. Here, here. <laughs> Okay, that's it for this one. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Please do let me know what you thought of this episode. I always love hearing your feedback. Give me a shout. You can reach me on Instagram at Dylan Bow. Send me a DM or you can email me at Dylan at pillars.com if you have any feedback at all guest suggestions, topics you'd like me to cover. I am all ears. I always love hearing from you guys. If you don't already, please do go follow Lucy. Uh, she's an amazing follow. She is one of the best social media users and information curators in the sport. So go seek her out and let her know if you enjoyed the conversation as well. In the show notes, you can find a link to her Instagram profile. I also link to her website where you can learn a little bit 
bit more about her and also to her Strava profile page where you can go see the files from her Larapinta Trail project a couple of weeks ago. Of course, if you guys enjoy the show, I'd be really grateful if you go leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and go download the Pillars app, a platform that is specifically made for trail runners with all the information and inspiration you could ever need to approach and excel in this wonderful sport. Until next time, thanks so much for being here. Love you guys so much. Bye-bye.